welcome to Healthy Perspectives with Jeremiah, a podcast that brings you current social and cultural issues through a clinical lens. Good morning. Good morning. All right. For all those listeners out there, I have a special guest today. I am uh, really excited to introduce. Uh, but before we do that, real quick, hey, remember, if you're brand new to this, thanks for joining us. We always appreciate your time. If you've been with us for a while, please share it with as many as you can. Subscribe. All of those things help us keep this thing rolling. Today, I have H.R. Huntsman. Uh, now, I have uh, I, I have recently just met him. So I know for me, I'm personally excited because I've got some things to learn. But for my audience, this is a great overlap. Let me let me give you a little highlight uh, of what caught my attention. Uh, I read uh, some of his bio, and then I had a chat with him leading up to this. And I'm going to be honest, HR, but the most exciting thing for me was I got down to this this additional information, which always is the most exciting for me. You know, I'm I'm a pretty relational guy, and I got I start looking at it. I'm like, okay, loves adventure. Wait, wait a second, shark diving. Bungee jumping, yeah. Kilimanjaro. I'm like, okay, this is the kind of person that I, you know, I strive to hang out with and, and in my personal world. And then I, you know, I, I go back from that and I see, you know, it wants to help others, which is really the mission of this particular podcast, you know, done lots of talking. So, okay, well, good. That's, you know, we can get into that. And then I zeroed in on your professional experience around uh, leadership culture uh, and strategic sides of organizational development and strategy. And I'm like, yeah, no, this is somebody I definitely need to talk to, if nothing else, because selfishly, I want to talk to you. So <laughs> I, I started seeing that stuff. Um, and that was super exciting for me. And I'm sure my audience will be excited to hear from you as well. So, you know, here we are. Uh, let's Let's start with some some low hanging fruit, right? I want to I want to send you a softball. That way we can get things rolling. Sounds good, Jeremiah. Thank you. Of course. So first, anything from the introduction that I might have missed, please feel free to go into. But my real question is, uh, you know, I'm really interested in how you are, um, in your own words, you know, both personally and professionally. Uh, and whatever you're comfortable sharing, all right? What I would like to know is tell us who you are. Does sure. that make sense? Yeah, it does. All right, first, cool. first of all, Jeremiah, thank you so much for having me on. really appreciate the invitation. I love what you do. Uh, I really respect uh, anyone who's helping others, investing in others, get healthier in any way they can. So uh, first of all, shout out to you. Kudos to you for investing in your your people, your audience, and I'm 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 honored to be on your show. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Who am I, right? That's a pretty existential question. Who am I? Uh from the introduction, yeah, I am an adventure junkie for sure. I was born and raised in the deserts and mountains of New Mexico and, and there I grew up just hanging out in the wilderness and killing rattlesnakes and scorpions and playing with my dog and from there, I just I grew into this guy who, who loves adventure. I love the wilderness. I love the outdoors. I'm always looking for a little bit of an adrenaline rush out there, whether it's backpacking or 
shark diving. I have a few shark dives coming up this year. So I, I love all of that stuff. Uh, on the professional side, uh, like you, I've invested in people my entire adult life. My first company was a nonprofit organization to, it sounds kind of squishy, but to change the world, I, I want to impact people. So we drilled wells in Kenya and orphanages in Uganda, helped build and get kids out the street in, in India and set up micro businesses, helping people get out of poverty in India, drug and alcohol centers all across Mexico. So there's a deep part of me because of how I grew up that is passionate about investing in and building up other people. And that has translated into my new company, new for me. It's about six years old. In my retirement, I didn't want to retire. I, I, I love working. I love investing in people. So I started Leaders Edge to continue developing leaders. So it's a little bit broad strokes about my journey. Awesome. Awesome. Like, like I said, my, my audience is going to eat that up because at the end of the day, you know, I, what I try to do is just help people gain perspective. Right. And, you know, the idea of you having these adventures, you know, one of the, one of my favorite things about that particular aspect of my private life is how much that plays into my professional development. The things that I learn out in the wilderness when I'm camping with no access to water and I, what I, what I hike in is what I have. Uh, you know, that stuff, that stuff translates into, well, let, let's get a little perspective, right? I mean, it, you know, with, when you're hiking with, you know, five gallons of water, you're going, wait a minute, there's, there's some heavy stuff in this world. And it's not necessarily all the cultural, political, you know, stuff that we, we deal with on a daily basis in our, you know, first world country (laughs) it's literally you know life and death when you've got nothing else but what you've packed so that's pretty cool um let's let's shift into you know i I, we try to create content that doesn't waste time right so we're gonna we're gonna just keep on moving uh hang on for the ride let's do this but i'm gonna go into a a second little little a little deeper dive, hopefully. So when we're looking at culture, which is what, what I, I do in my podcast, I, okay. I, I take cultural contexts, things that are happening right now. And I try to help people see there's different ways of looking at this because it's super easy to get like niched into one, one particular viewpoint. And that actually sets us up to fail more often than not. So looking at culture, at our culture, as it sits today, from where you are, is there an area of growth, probably for you specifically within leadership, because that's your that's your forte, right? right. That seems particularly relevant. Yeah, you bet. I mean, we've seen a major transition that I think should have happened a long time ago, but it's it's being driven uh, faster and and deeper as of late with the speed of change in our culture. And that is, well, let me give you an example. In the last two weeks since we talked, I've been invited by two companies to come in and do sort of an intervention with different teams. One is a medical clinic and the other is a legal firm. And they're having problems with these, each one with a different department. And and I walk into these settings. I didn't allow the bosses to be there. I said, you guys have to sit out. And there's a, a common theme with the underperformance, if you will, the frustration the bosses had with these departments And it came down to when I talked to the people, they simply did not feel heard. They did not feel valued. 
did not feel seen. One of the, one of the guys in one of these groups, he said, I want to be an asset and not a cog. And I wrote that down and that, that just, it, it hurt my soul that across business culture, across this country, there are people that feel like cogs in machinery rather than human beings to, to be seen, heard and valued. Every one of your listeners knows this to be true. Every one of us wants to be seen, heard, and valued. We've all been a part of organizations or relationships or been invited to parties where we didn't feel like we belonged. We weren't accepted. It's no different in business. There's no secret sauce to to any of this. It's the same thing. People at work want to feel accepted. They want to feel part of the tribe, part of the culture. So the shift that you ask about, what I'd love to see and what I try to a seed and instill is leaders who see people as valuable human beings with brilliance and understanding and can add value to the organization if they're given the opportunity to. So that's what I see smart leaders doing is inviting people to the table and listening to their insight, their struggles, their problems, their problem solving, and let their voice be heard. That's what needs to happen across this country. That's awesome. Okay. I, I got some things that are coming up for me. All right. Yeah. All right. Bye. Fire away. One, you talked about speed of change and I, I've talked about that specific yeah. topic on the podcast several times. I, I just want to reiterate, we have never seen anything like what we're seeing right now. That's this right. is brand new territory for all of us, That's right? right. The, the, the speed of communication, the change of vocabulary. I mean, the speed of change is it's, it's incredible and it's incredibly hard to keep up with. So I, I have, you know, I have uh, empathy and grace for people on, on all sides of this conversation, both the leaders and the followers. That leads me to my question for you. Yeah. You, you're, you're talking about this. You, you kicked the leadership out is basically what you told me, because Correct. as you, as you know, um, something that I've studied myself is, is there's two sides of leadership. There's the leadership side and there's followership side. And followers are the next leaders. So a good leader is going to be developing them into the leadership roles. So that that's the framework for this question. How much of this, the, what you're discussing here, is on the leadership to listen versus the followership to find a way to be heard? It's both, actually, right? So I, I kicked the leaders out. I didn't allow them to attend. That doesn't mean I don't respect them. I actually, every one of these business owners I'm close to, uh, some friends with, love deeply. But the reason they couldn't be in the room is because then the people would not share openly, and I needed them to share openly. So there is a there's a pattern to what has to develop on both sides, Jeremiah, and you're right. The followership needs to learn they can trust and share in a safe environment where they're not there's not going to be any kind of retribution or even even the the nonverbals that they said they'd get the eye rolls or the shrugs or the heavy sighs that can shut a conversation down leaders don't understand the power they have to shut down conversations with a single eye roll mm-hmm. so the followers yeah. the followers needed to know that there was a safe place that they could share and then the leaders needed to hear from me, someone they respected, 
the things they need to change and they needed to listen more. They needed to talk less. They needed greater inquiry skills. They needed to mine for brilliance. They needed to let people share ideas without shutting them down quickly. So both sides had to learn some things as we, and we're still in the process of this, of moving these parties closer to each other. Yeah. Oh no, that's good. Okay. So you gave me, you gave me some more stuff to chew on. I'm going to just keep going down this rabbit hole and we just, we just see where it goes. So I like you and big on empowerment. Part of the reason I have this podcast, right? It's, it's not an empowerment of me. It's an empowerment of everybody who might listen. That's my, that's really my, my agenda in the background. Uh, well, it's not even in the background. It's in the forefront. I put it out there, right? So you talk about this sharing openly concept. And I, I personally, uh, as a, as a professional, I have encountered these situations, uh, where your leaders have done the eye roll and I, you know, and I backed them. I was like, oh, oh, okay. Well, clearly they, they didn't want to hear that. And then I've had the opposite experience where I didn't back down. And so you, it leads me to a couple of pieces I want to highlight. And then I want to know your thoughts and opinions on these. Sure. So as a follower, one of the things I, I learned is absolutely critical. There's two things that I, I learned and, and it's courage and perseverance, right? Those, those two things, obviously there's a million other things too, but for me as a leader, as somebody who became a leader, but was at first a follower, if I didn't have the courage when I was shut down to be like, you know what? I don't give a crap. I'm going to get back up. It's just what I'm going to do that. Like nobody keeps me down and the perseverance to then get up every time I fall, because for me, I fell a lot. Right. And, and I think there's some of that that's potentially missing. And so I'd like you to talk about that. But then the other angle we'll come back to just so I'm setting the stage for the next one. I want to talk about that safety piece. So sure. talk about courage and perseverance, and then we'll jump ship over to that safety. Ab- absolutely. For anyone in the followership position, it does require courage to, to lean into that discomfort of challenging in a respectful manner, and I'm not talking about disrespect, I'm talking about in a respectful manner to walk into creative conflict and challenge authority by by asking hard questions, by pointing out things that may not be working well. It it absolutely requires courage. And and I talk to the leaders and I say, you don't understand that this power differential that you have that you're accustomed to, you don't realize how scary that power differential is, that you have the power over their economic health. In the blink of an eye, here in Washington State, it's a right-to-work state. You you could let them go just for wearing purple someday. It doesn't even matter. So that power differential is real. And so for a follower to to lean into that power differential and ask hard questions absolutely takes courage. How to get followers to do that in a respectful manner oftentimes takes a lot of work. Some because of their upbringing, their mindset, their their childhood, their other opportunities will lean into that more than others who sit back timidly and are afraid to rock any kind of boat. But that brings me to some of this cultural change since the great resignation. Now followers are in greater demand and they have more power. They're feeling that power. So they're now opening up more because they do have more opportunity than they had in years past. 
and they're they're yeah. flexing they're flexing a little bit of that power with asking for you know flexibility in the workplace or pay raises and people are now looking for jobs like we used to look for good restaurants and they'll go from one job to another looking for a great culture they can fit into so that's another way they're expressing their pleasure or displeasure yeah absolutely which brings me to the safety piece. You actually brought me right up to that line because what we are seeing I, potentially, this is this is a perspective, not necessarily the right perspective, just a perspective. As a as a therapist, I'm seeing people come into my office and they're noticing that shift. And what I'm actually getting is more of the leadership coming in saying, I'm not sure we're safe, which is new to me. Right. Yeah. In the past, that hasn't like it's clearly the 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 tide has shifted there in some ways. And I'm trying as a therapist, I'm trying to figure that out a little bit myself going, OK, well, so you said lean into the discomfort as a follower. So my my I guess my question is, is that the same advice for the leader that now is experiencing that same discomfort? It certainly is, Jeremiah. You're absolutely right. And the term we use, you're going to use the same term in therapy is psychological safety, right? It, it, it's what makes any good therapist a good therapist is you provide the psychological safety for openness and trust. The same is true in any good work environment. It's what healthy leaders and followers provide for each other. Yes, these leaders are now coming to me and saying, H, we, we feel, I'm going to use the words under attack. That's too strong, but we feel under attack like People are making demands that are often they're they're outsized. They're they're not even in lines with profitability or reasonability. And so now leaders are saying, How much do we have to give to make people happy before we go bankrupt? Yeah. Uh, I got a question for that because yeah, sure. something I just saw the other day in uh, you know, I was I was perusing social media. Uh, where I, I often go to, just to get a sense of certain things. There's different places to go to get information. That's one of the places that I go to look at a glimpse, uh, not necessarily an accurate glimpse at all times, but a glimpse of what's going on out there. And there was somebody who had said, he suggested $25 an hour as a minimum. And I'm a small business owner myself. Right. I, I do this podcast. And so far, I don't really make, my, I, I mean, any significant money. I, it doesn't pay for itself. I guarantee that because my, my hourly rate for therapy is like probably, you know, 50 times higher than any of the, uh, the, the dollar value that I would get back from my podcast. Let's be real. Cause the amount of time I put in versus compensation. That being said, $25 an hour. Let's be really specific. Is that reasonable? Right. I mean, obviously, any industry, any of those pay questions, are. we have to look at the industry, we have to look at the area, the geography, the skill set. And what a lot of followers are doing is they're just picking out a number like that of what they think they're worth that's not relative or reasonable to anything going on with the marketplace, with inflation, with the understanding of what the value of that job brings to that particular company. So a lot of followers who may not understand the business mechanics throw out numbers like that or talking heads in the media will throw out numbers like that. And they make seven figures a year and they'll throw out these numbers that they have no relation to 
the actual supply and demand of that particular position. Okay, and so, so yeah, so walk me through this for a second. Like, I mean, I know we're burrowing a little bit, but sometimes yeah. I like to do that. The audience benefits from it. Okay, we're burrowing into this a little bit. Let me let's let's. Hmm. How do you talk to a leader who knows 25? Let's uh, obviously that's a relatively arbitrary number, depending on the industry that might be grossly undervalued um, or grossly overvalued, right? We, we don't know um, until we burrow. So we got a leader who looks at their budget and looks and goes, okay, I, you know, as a leader of this industry, I make, uh, let's say I make you know seventy five grand a year, which is reasonable money. That's that's not bad. Sure. But then I'm being told, you know, by demand essentially in some some arenas, I'm being told you got to pay your employees twenty five bucks an hour. And then I go, oh crap. Well, I guess that makes them wealthier than me. Right. What do you tell a leader in that situation with with this noise, this cultural noise coming at them? I mean, this this is a real life scenario, Jeremiah. So, so there'll be ads up, you know, billboards on I five here, and let's say Amazon starting pay. We'll use your twenty five dollars an hour. Amazon starting pay twenty five dollars an hour. No experience needed. We'll train you. Uh, Chick fil A, Burger King. I mean, these frontline beginning, you know, no skill required. Walk in and get trained twenty twenty five dollars an hour, and then the the local company that's uh, trying to start a chiropractic clinic or trying to start a marketing firm, that same person is being told you have to pay $25 an hour to a frontline person with no experience. They simply do not have the revenue to compete. Now, the person who's looking for a job doesn't care. They're like, well, if you can't pay me, I'm not going to work for you. So the small business owner is under tremendous pressure to raise wages and benefits to compete with multi-billion dollar companies. And that's unreasonable. It's unreasonable. Now, again, the, the worker says, well, I don't care if it's unreasonable. I have to take care of my family. I'm going to go, you know, where's going to pay me good money and benefits. And then the business owner is needing to raise some of those wages up and benefits. And yes, they are cutting their own pay to do so. They're cutting their own pay and they're being lumped in as, well, yeah, business owners need to take a pay cut as though the, the owner of a marketing firm with five people is the same as Bezos running Amazon. Yeah. Like CEOs need to make less. Those are not the same worlds. Right. So there is tremendous pressure on the leadership of small business to make accommodations, psychological safety, wage and benefit changes, tremendous pressure on the small business owner right now. And they feel, they feel under attack. Okay. So I, I, you know, as, as somebody who looks for alternative perspective and you're, you know, you got this organizational strategy stuff, right? So I got to ask the question, because this is where my mind goes as I'm looking at the lay of the land. And again, I'm a, I'm a counselor. That's what I do for a living. So I see this oftentimes through individuals who come in their eyes and then, of course, my own experience, you know, I can't, I can't negate that. That's a part of my world as well. And I go, okay, let's see small business such as myself. I can't compete pay-wise. There's, there's just, there's no way I am going to compete with that pay scale. I can't do it. 
So what are my ways to compete? How do I compete with something when I can't do it financially, but I have to find a way? That's right. The small business and small business owner, they have a distinct advantage in many areas over the Fortune 100s or 500s or 1,000 companies. And that is if they can get this piece down that we're really trying to drive at. The heart of this is creating a culture where people feel seen, heard, valued. I keep using those things because every one of us as human beings wants that. That's where the small business leader and and the person who gravitates toward that kind of culture, that's where they're going to thrive. And that's where their advantage lies is in that kind of culture. And I call it a destination workplace mentality to create a place that is uh, invest in human beings as human beings, that sees them as human beings, as moms and dads and brothers and sisters and citizens in the in the local economy. That's where I believe the small business culture can really thrive. The leaders that can do that and the followers, if you will, the team members can help build that as well. When they can build it together, Jeremiah, now we have something special. Yeah, that's good. Okay. So now my, my, my mind's just racing. I'm going, you, you're talking about the culture uh, of value yeah. and I'm thinking what makes that right? Like uh, I know what makes that for me. And obviously you're talking about, listen to your people, not, not because they have all the right answers, but because no. they have some of them and I need to know which ones they are. That's all right? right. So listen to the people. I got it. Uh, put that on my checklist. We'll do now. What about this, this development or this mentorship piece, right? Like if I work at Amazon, there's a chance I'm going to come across a supervisor who gives a crap about me. Yeah. There's a chance that could happen. And I, I may get lucky. There's also the chance that my supervisor went down the same path as me. They took the 25 bucks an hour because they wanted to just get in and get to work and make money. Right. And they don't know what the hell they're doing. And so I can't look at them as a mentor. They may be able to stick me on the line and make me, you know, make me really good at, I don't know, counting boxes or doing this or that. They, and that's great, but they can't really bring me along. Right. Is that an area that small businesses, medium-sized businesses should really focus is on that mentorship? Like, look, we're going to take you under our wing and we're going to make it so that you can do what we do 10 years from now. Here's how I approach that with the companies that I work with. And, and for for your listeners, I, I don't work with Fortune 500 companies. Not that I wouldn't enjoy that. That's just not the, the playground I play in. Most of the companies I work with are startups to about $100 million. So, you know, good-sized companies with good-sized teams, or they're they're just beginning. I love working with groundbreakers. My message to them is this, and it's become more and more in the last three years since COVID and the, the shift in the labor market and the talent pool is you need to see yourself as a training organization that specializes in X. You're not a chiropractic clinic anymore. You're, you're not a law firm anymore. You're a training organization that specializes in an area of law. You're a training organization that specializes in chiropractic care or spine surgery or marketing or whatever. I, I need them to shift that mentality because exactly what you're saying is going on. People want to look for opportunities and options. 
So if they can walk into a small business that has this destination workplace mentality and says, I see you as an asset that I'm going to invest in for the long haul, that's pretty attractive. So yeah. what that what that means logistically, Jeremiah, is us helping them create really solid onboarding training, really great training systems across departments and up the value ladder, helping front desk people become uh, chiropractic technicians or x-ray techs or paralegals or pick the industry. They can go from a carpenter to a foreman to a project manager. So identifying and creating these documented training systems really helps these organizations see themselves as training organizations. Okay, so I'm going to flip that coin for a second because this is good. I I love where we're going so far, but I want to flip it to the followership side. Does this mean that followers are really at decision points uh, along these lines? One, take the high pay, or two, take the lower pay, get more of the culture and the mentorship and development, and... Like, okay, so then, you know, you're going to have these anomalies, these high pay jobs that do the development. But I think those are going to be a little bit more on the rare side. They're going to outsource the development when they're large, right? They, that's generally what they're, we'll send you to this training. Not, we will be your mentor. We will be your trainer, right? So is that really the crux? What followers ought to be looking for is, Okay, do I really want the high pay or do I want to delay the high pay potentially, get the development so that ultimately down the road, I'm a decision maker? Is that what we're looking at? Uh, to a degree, yes. And and obviously, this is going to be individualized to each one of your listeners or each one of these hypothetical people. Like, what what do I want out of life and what do I want out of my business environment and my my work culture? Do I want... Uh, do I want the big corporate setting that may come with all the bells and whistles? They'll help pay for my college like, you know, Starbucks does. They'll, they'll send you what to Arizona State or Arizona. Uh, I've, I've been looking at the Amazon ads now, and they're focusing in on that. The new Amazon ads are talking about training and how they started here and moved up to the supervisor. And it's like, okay, see, these guys are now starting to catch on to this. So it really obviously is individualized. What does a person want? Do they want the smaller uh, more, I guess, family feel, if you will, of, of a small business with 50 to 100 people? Or do you want the bells and whistles that may come with a large Fortune 500 or Fortune 100 company? Each person has to decide, you know, where are they headed? Where are they headed, really? And, and will this will this company help me get there? Yeah, that that's a good one. Okay, so you use the, the language around the family feel, the family orientation. Yeah, I'm also seeing a shift in this culturally. And so what do you mean when you say that? I almost hesitated to say that because there's actually <laughs> a push. There's actually a pushback against I know. when a company will, will put on their Indeed ad, a small family owned company. Now people are like, oh, I don't want any part of that drama or closed minded or small minded thinking. So the minute it came out of my mouth, I was like, eh, I probably shouldn't have said it that way. But the the smaller, more close knit organization take out the family family piece because that may not be healthy sometimes. But more closely knit, where there is a greater opportunity for your voice to be heard, like that's that's really the point to all this. 
what's the opportunity for my voice to be heard, for me to make a difference and kind of carve my own path that tends to happen more in the smaller organizations than the larger ones? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to push back a tiny bit on this because I'm going to tell you the clinical side of this. Okay. One of the things that is you often grossly misunderstood or misrepresented culturally is what used to be called the family unit, right? Families are messy. Families are gross. Let's be real. All connections are a little gross and a little, a little on the ugly side at times. That's fact. But, but there is this, this beauty of, of love and care that is unmatched in that family oriented viewpoint. Now I know, I know what you mean when you talked about that hesitation. I I encounter that as well from a therapeutic lens, but to go away from that creates a different risk. It creates a risk of transactional, uh, you know, relationships and transactional relationships are not what I would suggest small or medium sized, you know, up to that hundred million, they they can't go transactional. The large ones can do it because they can get away with it to a degree, you know, because truthfully they're seeing the people transactionally as well, but those small and medium sized ones, like, yeah, we're not only going to bring you in. This is my own, my own take. This has, you know, like we're going to bring you in and we're going to accept that there's a part of you that's ugly and we're going to, we're just going to say, we're going to work with it. We're going to figure it out. And and then where we find those growth areas, we're going to help you see it a different way, not necessarily the right way, but a different way that moves our company forward. And that's what families do. You know, that, or at least that's historically what families have done. So my pushback is, I don't know that I would shy away from that language because clinically, if I shy away from that language, what I'm saying is instead of having some of those relationships be an eight, nine, and a 10 in terms of depth out of a 10 scale, I'm saying like, let's bring that up to a five because it's functional and let's just keep it there. But then you miss out on the benefits of those eight, nines, and tens, right? Yeah. So I, I don't know. What are your thoughts, man? My thoughts are, uh, you're absolutely right, of course, that all relationships are messy. It's going to be up to, let's go back to that family business, sure. right? The smaller business where that messiness is, it's more seen, it's more understood, it's it's even more accepted, I guess, because it, it has to be. As long as both parties are willing to lean into that and wade into that, human messiness, that's when it becomes beautiful. And that goes back to what we talked about earlier, having that creative conflict, having that psychological safety and that trust to be able to share our differences and misunderstandings in a way where everyone feels heard and valued. That's when it becomes beautiful when it's stymied or shut down. That's when it gets kind of cancerous, right? It's it's, Mm -hmm. no matter the size of the organization at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's, uh, you know, like somebody like a Brene Brown would suggest the, uh, you know, you, you lean into that discomfort because that's where courage and perseverance can manifest. That's right. Right. That's, that's why we have that. And yes, it may at moments feel unsafe, but if the commitment is there and the commitment never wavers, but that brings us to, you know, all these other cultural things. Look, I, I, we could, I mean, look, I, I, I'm going to be honest, HR, I could sit here and talk to you for hours because the content that you bring is real life content. 
this isn't this isn't part of the game this isn't you know this is real life and yes it's you know business content at times but it's real life clinical content too and so I want to I want to circle back and I want to leave our audience with I'm going to let you have the last word plug whatever you need at the very end but something you said near the beginning that I completely disagreed with you talked about it being that helping is a little bit squishy I totally disagree Good. I think that's what it's all about I think that is at the heart when we talk about you know the, the love and acceptance of things that are different from us and creating that safe space, I really think that that is the opposite. That's the antithesis of squishy. That is that is that core when we're looking at you know, the the leadership and followership. It's you know let's get into that what you said was squishy, and and and, and let's let's appreciate it for what it is. Does that make sense? Of course, you and I, you and I play in the playground of the squishy. I mean, that's where we make our living. That's where we find our fulfillment. For me, I think I can probably speak for you. That's where we see great change and transformation is playing in there. What I hear from CEOs, and I'll quote one CEO a couple of years ago, don't give me all that touchy feely crap. That's a direct quote, right? That squishy stuff. They just metrics and performance and, and I 100% agree that the human piece is, is the beautiful piece of business family. You know, when people say, can we just separate business and personal? Like, no, we're human beings. All your listeners are human beings at home and at work. And I want them to be as authentic and vulnerable and real and transparent in both places. Be courageous at work. Be open at work. Challenge your bosses to listen. Create environments of inquiry and authenticity and creative conflict and help be a change agent. So let me, let me speak to your listeners directly for just a second. When I say the word leadership, I'm not talking about position. I'm talking about influence. So whenever I speak to all these followers, if you will, I tell them my challenge to you is to be leaders outside of title. And I would say the same thing. And I don't know, obviously, all of your listeners could be anywhere along the corporate ladder. Be a person of influence outside of title. Listen to people, hear them, see them. If you're a follower, your boss is a human being who lies awake at night trying to figure out how to make payroll and deal with the challenges of the new workplace. If you're a leader, your followers want to be seen and heard, and they want to know they have value. Make sure that they are assets and not cogs. Make sure you are seeing them as human beings. Awesome. I love it. Okay. Is there any, uh, how do my, uh, how does my audience find you? Sure. So my company is Leaders Edge. You can go to yourleadersedge.com. My email is hr at yourleadersedge.com. And yes, I go by HR. That's not human resources. That's what I go by. HR at yourleadersedge.com. Uh, shoot me an email. I'd love to chat, reach out, connect. If I can help you or any of your organizations, I'd be happy to add some value. Awesome. I'm going to go ahead and I'll put that stuff in the details of the podcast as well. Uh, hopefully lots of people out there hear this and uh, it makes a difference for, for both you, HR, but more importantly, from where I sit for them, 
those listeners. I want them to get the benefits of what you just brought to the table. It was great having you. You are welcome back. The way this conversation went, man, I could do this 10 or 15 more times. So if you know if something comes up in your world and you want to reach out to us and get my audience involved, by all means, reach out. We would be happy to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, brother. Thanks for having me. Keep up the great work. I respect what you do. Keep it up. Thank you so much. All right, audience. uh, Appreciate your time. As always, please follow, subscribe, and reach out to HR. Have a conversation with him. He's a very interesting individual, and man, it was awesome to, to hang out with him. We'll see you all next time. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Take a look at the details of our podcast for links to our website and other helpful information.